morning. It is so good to see you this morning. Uh, just a huge thank you to our worship team for leading our congregation in worship this morning. For everybody who's serving today in some capacity, everybody at the sound booth, and if you're serving in the children's classrooms, or if you've led a small group or a Sunday school class this morning, uh, thank you for, for leading and serving in that way today. We really appreciate that. Well, today we are in week two of a message series called the B attitudes, and for eight weeks, we're going to be taking a closer look at the Beatitudes uh, taught by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Now, the Beatitudes contain 12 verses uh, that really are the opening words or the opening statements uh, that Jesus gave to the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the, by far the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. As we read these, each beatitude or verse begins with the word blessed. We talked about this last week. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. In total, we're given eight beatitudes. And uh, the word blessed is a great word. It's translated from the Greek word uh, makarios. We'll throw that up on the screen this morning. We, we said this together last week. This word is such a great word. And I, I said, I don't have a favorite Greek word to say, but this is a fun one to say. So just one more time. Why don't on the count of three, we say this word together this morning. One, two, three. Makarios. Oh, we can do a little better than that. Come on, church. One, two, three. Makarios. This is a great word. It's a fun word to say. You see, this word means happy or a joy that's untouchable by the world, untouchable by the circumstances in our lives. So really, the the Beatitudes give us God's formula for how we can experience true happiness, true joy in life. You know, our culture teaches us that happiness has everything to do with what's happening around us. Uh, our circumstances. But God's formula for experiencing makarios, this joy that's untouchable by the world, has everything to do with what God's doing in us and through us, and then uh, the attitudes that we have as a result of that work. So the Beatitudes really are eight attitudes or eight characteristics that God wants for every person. That's why we've entitled the series the the Be Attitudes, because church, our attitude matters. According to Jesus, the starting point for experiencing this joy, this happiness, this 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 makarios is having the right attitudes in life. Now, last week we looked at the first attitude, the first beatitude, which is humility. Uh, Matthew chapter five, verse three says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about another way we can say this is uh, happy are the humble. Happiness is found in humility. And biblical humility is living with uh, a deep dependency on God and having a sincere care for other people. So uh, happy are the humble. We, We recognize our own spiritual poverty. We recognize the need that we have for God. We depend on God, and we live our lives caring for other people. You see, when you recognize your need for God, a natural byproduct is joy. When you start focusing your life at caring for other people, a natural byproduct is joy. When we learn to be humble, when we practice humility, the joy in our life just naturally goes up. 
So the second beatitude, and the one that we're going to talk about today, is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. So last week, I I asked you to remember something specific, and I'm going to remind you about that here in just a second. But I I ask that uh, you remember that we, when we practice humility, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, that we learn to take ourselves less seriously And we learn to take God more seriously. That's depending on God that's caring for others. Well, today I want to encourage you. Today I want to encourage you to take yourself more seriously. All right. Now this is going to sound like a contradiction because last week we talked about humility. Learn to take yourself less seriously. Learn to take God more seriously. And this week with the beatitude that we're going to look at, I want to encourage you to take yourself more seriously. So if this sounds like a contradiction, I promise that it's not. Well, the second beatitude is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, and this is what it says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, another way that we can say this is uh, happy are the unhappy. All right, again, that sounds like a contradiction, just like the rest of the Beatitudes. I mean, you, you, you learn that uh, blessed, you know, happiness, happy are those who are unhappy. What kind of sorrow... What kind of mourning could possibly bring about the kind of joy that's untouchable by the world? What kind of mourning could bring about this makarios in our our lives? While there's comfort, certainly for those who mourn the loss of a loved one. We've talked about this a little bit this year. And there's comfort for those who mourn really any kind of loss in life. The kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about here, the kind of mourning that he's referring to, has to do with mourning our own sin. It has to do with mourning our own sin. Another way that you could say this is, happy are those who recognize their own sin and are not happy about it. They will be comforted. You see, we take ourselves more seriously in a good way when we learn to take our, our, our sin more seriously. We, we take ourselves seriously when we take the responsibility uh, that we need to have for our own sin. You see, Jesus tells us that this is the kind of joy, this is the, uh, the kind of attitude that brings the kind of joy into our lives that's untouchable by the world. We'll explain that a little bit more today. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 reminds us that there's a time in life for just about everything, right? There's a, there's a time for mercy, There's a time even for confrontation. There's a time for sorrow. There's a time for joy. There's a time to cry. There's a time to mourn in life. There's a time to dance. Yes, you can dance in church. It's okay. There's a time to laugh. Yeah, I'm reminded of of Proverbs. It tells us a merry heart does good like medicine. Uh, Laughter and joy, it's like this prescription that brings healing in life. Laughter is such a good thing. And I was thinking this week that the idea of laughing and laughter, and we, we need more of that in the church. Amen? We need more of that. It, it reminded me of a story that uh, a pastor that I served with in Indiana, he used to tell this story. I'm just going to tell it to you word for word how he told it. So this is this story according to him. So there, there was a man waiting in the Los Angeles airport who was worried about missing his plane. I think a lot of us have been there before. He didn't have a wristwatch, and he couldn't find the time. So he walked up to a complete stranger, and he said, Excuse me, sir, could you give me the time? The stranger smiled and said, Sure. So the stranger set down these these two large suitcases that he was carrying with him. He looked at his wristwatch, and he said, It's exactly 5.09 p.m. The temperature outside is 73 degrees, and it's supposed to rain tonight. 
In London, the sky is clear and the temperature is 38 degrees Celsius. The barometer reading is 29.4 and falling. And let's see, in Singapore, the sun is shining brightly. And oh, by the way, the moon should uh, be in full, uh, on full display tonight in L.A. So you mean to tell me that, that your watch gives you all of that information the man interrupted? It, it does, and, and it gives you so much more. You see, I invented this watch, and I can assure you there's no other timepiece like it in all of the world. Well, I'd like to buy the watch from you, the man said. How about I give you $2,000? I've got it right here in my bag. No, it's, it's not for sale, said the stranger as he reached down to pick up his suitcases. Well, reaching for his wallet, the man said, wait, wait, just how about $4,000? I've got it cash right here, right now. I'll give you $4,000 if you sell me the watch. And he said, I, I just can't sell it. You see, I plan to give this watch to my son for his 21st birthday. I invented it for him to enjoy. Okay, listen. I'll give you $10,000. I've got the money right here in my bag. And I think like any of us would probably do, the stranger paused for a minute. He thought about it and he said, all right, it's, it's yours for $10,000, but not a penny less. And the man, as you can imagine, he was so excited. He'd never seen anything like this before. He said, thanks. And he, he turned to leave. And as he was leaving with his new wristwatch in hand, the stranger said, wait just a minute. And with a big smile on his face, he reached down, he grabbed the two large suitcases that he had with him, and he said, don't forget the batteries. <laughs> Man, what a letdown. <laughs> Church, there, there's an important place for laughter in life. Um, laughter is a God-ordained thing. He's given us creativity and laughter, and we should use that. But there's also a place for what Jesus calls mourning. You know, how, how can Jesus say when we read these Beatitudes that, that we are, are blessed, that we're happy, that we're joyful when we mourn? I mean, can, can mourning be a positive thing or is it always a, a negative thing? Jesus, when, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, uh, the word mourn that Jesus is using is actually the strongest word in the Greek language uh, to indicate the deep sadness that someone feels when they lose a loved one. Now, there's about nine words in the Greek that articulate this idea of mourning, and this is by far the strongest word. And it relates to when we lose a loved one. I think most people can relate to that. So if we look at this in context, if we go back to the previous beatitude, Jesus talks about the attitude of being poor in spirit, recognizing our spiritual poverty, recognizing our need for God. And then the very next verse, Jesus is bringing to the surface the attitude or the emotion that all of us should have as followers of Christ towards our own sin. See, this is a godly kind of mourning that leads to godly repentance. It's understanding my own sinfulness in light of the sinlessness of God. And the promise for this type of mourning is a comfort that can only be given by God and can only be received in this, in this context. This is a comfort that can only be found in the forgiveness of God. So knowing this, it's important that, that we don't miss this important attitude that we should have about our own sin. Jesus is teaching that we should mourn over our sins, and that our mourning comes when we finally realize that sin matters to God, and it actually matters how we choose to deal with sin in our own lives. 
When we develop the right kind of attitude towards our own sin, Jesus tells us that we are comforted and we experience the kind of joy that's untouchable by the world. So I guess a good question this morning is how, how do we begin to develop this, this kind of attitude that Jesus is talking about, the right kind of attitude towards the sin in our lives? Well, we have to start with having uh, the right view of what sin is and how each and every one of us arrives at sin in our own lives. In the book of James, chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 10, I'll have the, the scripture up on the screen for you this morning. This is what we read. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for the loyal, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up in honor. And you read a passage like this, and it's like, I think I came to church on the wrong Sunday, right? Talking about sin. And, you know, Jesus uh, talks about, or uh, James, in, in James 4, he provides such a clear illustration of what it looks like to mourn our own sin. But, but again, we can read this, but I think we have to go a little bit deeper so that we can fully understand what sin is and, and where sin comes from how each and every one of us end up with sin in our own lives. So this morning in your notes, you're going to notice uh, five squares. We're also going to throw these squares up on the screen this morning, and they correspond, they go, they go right along with the points that are in your bulletin today. So these five squares are going to represent where sin comes from. So if you see at the very uh, far right, the final product is sin. The final product is sin. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to work backwards to find out uh, biblically how we end up with sin in our lives. So if you're taking notes, the first thing you can fill in in the far right box or in the, in the uh, first point there is simply this. It's the word sin. You can write that in. See, church, as we look to God's word, we come to the conclusion that sin really is anything that goes against the character and nature of God. Sin is what severs our relationship with God. It's what gives us a false view of who God is. And sin gives us a false view of ourselves. We have an identity crisis because we have sin in our lives. Sin is what makes everything about me. You know, this, this is the opposite of humility, which is what we talked about last week. Sin is living my life my own way for my own benefit and for my own glory instead of living my life for the glory of God. You know, if we were to stop right here and just have more of a discussion this morning, if we were to survey the room, there would be undoubtedly all sorts of questions asking things like, why do people sin? Where does sin actually come from? And so it's going to be my goal this morning to really help shed some light on some of those questions. So I'm going to talk about myself just for a minute. For the longest time, I believe that sin came uh, just from temptation. All right? I believe that sin came from temptation. So if I was walking in the mall and I saw a pretty girl walking or I wanted something that someone else had, I, you know, I coveted something in life that wasn't mine, my job, my sole responsibility was to recognize temptation and then immediately fight temptation. This is where I thought that sin came from. And, and this leads us to the second square. So if you're, if you're writing uh, in your notes today, write the word temptation. 
You see, most people believe that this is how sin works, that temptation is the only thing that comes right before, right before sin, and that our job as Christians is to fight all temptation that's in our lives. It's a common belief that we can just be going about our day, living our lives, and then the enemy all of a sudden just springs something on us and tempts us with it. And then it would be our job to immediately fight temptation. If we successfully fight temptation, then guess what? We've won the battle against sin. You know, while there's a small amount of truth in that, it's really not true. It's only part uh, part true. It's not the whole truth. You see, when we believe that temptation is just sprung on us out of nowhere, we're believing a myth. This isn't why we sin. Where, where sin comes from in our lives starts so much earlier. It, it lives deeper and it fights harder than any of us realize. And the enemy's goal is to take our eyes off of the true battle. He wants us to stay focused on only fighting temptation so that we aren't giving much thought to the deeper places in life that sin originates from. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, we read these words, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So Proverbs teaches that there's a deeper part of us that controls what we choose to do and what we choose not to do. And we talked about this a little bit during our parenting series. So when our kids have wrong behavior, we talked about the importance of addressing the heart and not just the behavior. We should, un- we should help our kids understand that wrong behavior is always a heart issue. We parent the heart, not just the behavior. And I would say this to us this morning. It's the same in our lives as well. We do what we do because that's what our heart wants. We do what we do because that's what our heart wants. And the rest of Scripture, all of Scripture agrees with this. In James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, uh, we read these words. I think this is perfect. And I actually highlighted some things. So I underlined that temptation comes from our own desires underline, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. So temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. See, James teaches us that there's something that comes before temptation. It's not just something that's sprung on us randomly. We're not just going about our business, walking in the mall, or hanging out with friends and family, and then temptation is sprung on us. Temptation is not the primary problem in our lives. There is a deeper issue. And that brings us to the third square. So if you're taking notes, write in the word desire. Desire. James teaches us that this deeper issue is desire. At this point, it really is easy for us to understand. So I'm going to give you a a personal illustration to highlight what I'm talking about. So my wife absolutely hates seafood. It's her only flaw. It really is. She hates seafood. I love seafood, but where she hates seafood, she's so nice because she'll go and eat at a seafood restaurant with me. All right. She'll, you know, and right now I think she reminded me this week that it's lobster fest right now at Red Lobster. So can I get an amen? All right. <laughs> this lobster fest is going on. It's exciting. So she hates seafood, but she'll go eat with me. I, we could be having dinner together. She always orders like the one non-seafood item on the menu, by the way. So we'll be eating together. I could throw in front of her just a hot plate of seafood pasta. 
and it would mean absolutely nothing to her. I could order some freshly boiled crab legs with some melted butter. Ah, that sounds good. Oh, yeah. It would mean absolutely nothing with her. Again, this is her only flaw. In fact, there's nothing, nothing I can do to convince her to eat seafood. And here's why. You see, it doesn't tempt her because she doesn't already desire it. It doesn't tempt her because she doesn't already desire it. It's not a legitimate temptation in her life. Church, it's the same way for all people. We can't be tempted to do something that we don't already desire in our hearts. The only way desire leads to temptation, which leads to sin, is if you actually desire that sin in the first place. We sin privately or publicly because we desire sin. It's, it's part of our human condition. It's a heart issue. So instead of spending our time and energy solely fighting temptation, we should ask the question, how can I begin to change my desires? Again, it's much deeper than temptation. How can I change what I want in life? How can I change what I love and what I hate? How can I have a change of a heart? You see, the way we change our heart is not by simply removing or saying no to temptation in our lives. Uh, Now, hear, hear me when I say this. Saying no to temptation, purposely setting up guardrails is a good thing. All right, it's important that we, we have guardrails set up in our lives so that we don't step over the edge and fall into sin. But the way we change our heart is by changing our desires. And the only way to change our desires is to desire something more than sin. And this is where the gospel comes in. See, the gospel is, is the amazing truth that Jesus comes to us and offers us something so much greater so much more satisfying than sin. The the gospel is the good news that God himself has come to rescue and renew creation in and through the work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. You, You hear that, you think, why does creation need rescuing? Well, it's because of sin. It's because of sin. You see, the reason why we sin is because our hearts desire sin. If you want to focus on changing your desires, changing your heart, you need to believe the truth of the gospel and believe that a relationship with Jesus is far more satisfying than sin. It's so much more satisfying. When, where, where sin satisfies for a short time, and it does. Every person in here would, would testify to that. Sin satisfies but for a short time. And where it satisfies for a short time, Jesus is able to satisfy forever. He can meet every one of our desires far better than sin ever could. The way you begin to fight sin is not just by saying no to temptation. It's by satisfying your desires with Jesus. We're going to come back to that in in just a minute. So where do our desires come from? We've talked about sin, we've talked about temptation and and desires. Where do our desires come from? If sin and temptation come from desiring sin, then desire has to originate somewhere. And thankfully, uh, God's word is not silent on this. This brings us to our fourth square. If you're taking notes, write in the word lack or lacking. You see, you don't desire more of something you already have enough of. None of us do. Uh, This idea of lacking, uh, you only desire what you believe that you lack in life. 
If you have plenty of something, you don't desire more of what you already have. And it's only when we start to run out and a lack is identified in our lives that you start to desire more. We don't desire what we already have enough of. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, we read these words, Do not love this world nor the things it offers, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, only a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So John, he identifies three main desires that people fall into because we believe the lie that we lack in every one of these areas. He talks about the lust of the flesh. He talks about the lust of the eyes, and he talks about the pride of life. This is what the body wants to feel. This is what the eyes want to see. And what the soul wants to experience. And this supports what Solomon wrote about in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes 2. We talked about this last week. Remember he said, I decided to enjoy myself and find out what happiness really is. And remember, it was in his pursuit of of true happiness that he found three dead ends in life. He found the dead end of accumulating things. The dead end of experiencing worldly pleasures. And the dead end of achieving success. You know, this is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that John is talking about. We see this echoed all throughout Scripture. It's like we were warned generations before. Solomon said, I had it all. I was the king of an empire. I had everything I could ever want. And in my pursuit of happiness, these are the dead ends that I ran into. You see, church, when we have a lack in our life, whatever it may be, we grow a desire to fill that lack. And then we're tempted to fill in that lack with anything other than Jesus. Whenever we seek to fill in a lack with anything other than Jesus, that's when it results in sin. Again, we have to believe that Jesus can satisfy every area of our lives if we're going to fight this, even in the areas where we feel like we're lacking today. I was reminded this week that Jesus can satisfy the areas where we feel like we're not enough. Maybe you feel like you're lacking in that area today. Maybe you feel like you're not enough in your marriage or enough for your kids or enough at work. Jesus can satisfy in the areas where we feel like we're not enough. He can satisfy the areas where we feel like we don't have enough. You know, it's all about keeping up with the Joneses. You know, you see what someone has down the street, the cool new boat they got, the promotion at work that they're talking about, the success that their kids are having in college and and beyond. And we start to feel like we have a lack in that area, and that grows a desire which leads to temptation, which leads to sin. But church, Jesus can satisfy the areas where we feel like we don't have enough. Jesus wants to meet you in those places and show you that he can fill the lack. Jesus is absolutely enough. I want to encourage you this morning to allow him to meet you right where you're at this morning and fill your need. Fill your desires and help you resist the enemy. So if having a lack leads to desire, which leads to temptation, which ultimately leads to sin, what leads us to believe that we have lack in our lives? Well, let's take a look at the fifth and final square. And this really is the root 
or foundation of all sin in our lives. And that's the word unbelief. If you're taking notes, write in the word unbelief. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 through 27, and then also 31 through 33. It's all in context, so we're going to skip around just a little bit. Church, as I'm reading this, allow this to speak to your heart today. I know this is where many of us are at today. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? That's rhetorical. <laughs> the answer is absolutely not. So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. He already knows. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus is highlighting the sin of anxiety, the sin of worry. But this can apply to every area of our lives. You know, do you, do you believe that you're, you're lacking or that God is not able to provide in your place of work? Do you believe that he's not able to provide in your, your marriage or in your relationship with your, your kids? Or do you believe that you just, he can't provide for you financially? Maybe you don't think that specifically, but we behave that way. We live our lives that way. You see, the reason we sin is because we don't believe that God is a good and perfect provider. Unbelief or, or having a lack of trust stands as the foundation of every sin ever committed. From, from Genesis to Revelation and in our lives today, unbelief leads to lack, which leads to desire, which leads to temptation, which ultimately leads to sin. See, church, sin has always been about unbelief or having a lack of trust. Sin is a trust issue. It's a trust issue. And because sin is a trust issue, we have to address our lack of trust. We have to address our unbelief. See, God is calling every person to believe that, that he is who he says he is, to believe the good news of the gospel. The, the gospel changes hearts. The gospel fixes unbelief. The gospel proves to us that God is reliable, that we can trust him and that he is enough for every area of our lives. There's no place that Jesus won't go to meet you and provide for you. You see, when you believe the gospel and trust Jesus with your life, when temptations do come, it'll be like my wife staring at a plate of seafood. It's just not appealing. See, when we believe the gospel and trust Jesus with our lives, he fills every lack. He satisfies every desire. He helps us fight every temptation. And he gives us victory over sin. There is victory in Christ. Amen? So something that we all share is our humanness. Something every person shares this morning is our humanness. Nobody here is perfect, and the reality is, is that we're going to continue to sin in our lives. 
And that brings us back to the beatitude that we're talking about today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are those who recognize their own sin and are not happy about it, for they will be comforted. You see, when we sin, we mourn as a response because we know that God can fully satisfy. We've already experienced that. We repent, we turn the other way, and we allow God to fill us and satisfy us once again. We hate sin because we've seen how good Jesus really is. Again, we're, we're sinners. We're going to go down this road, but we remember the promises of God. We remember who he is and that he has victory over sin. Scripture tells us that we no longer live under the authority of sin when we're in Christ. We live under the authority of Jesus, and he has victory over sin. He has victory over temptation. He has victory over death. We are under Christ's authority. We repent. We turn the other way. We allow God to fill us once again. In closing, I want to read 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. This is a promise for every person that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Church, God is faithful. God is a a perfect provider. Believe the good news and allow it to change you from the inside out. Allow God to fill you with a kind of joy that's untouchable by the world. The culture we live in tells us that, that sin, when we give in to it, is where joy comes from. That's what satisfies. But we know that's not true. We know that only Jesus fully satisfies. Believe the truth of the gospel again. Let God fill you with a joy that's untouchable by the world. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted.